So this week, we continue our Summer in the Psalms series, and we'll be looking at Psalm 136. Now, we're not going to look at the whole passage because it's, it's pretty long. But instead, we're going to look at the first nine verses. And this, this psalm has been used for corporate worship often over the years, and it encourages some congregational interaction. So normally, like at, at Calvary here, we, we don't typically do liturgy. Like, that's not something we, we usually do with, like, responsive reading and that kind of thing. But, but we're... We're going to give it a shot this week, just a little bit. This, this psalm just really lends itself to it. So as, as I read uh, this morning, as we read, I'm going to have you read along with me. And, and, and I'm going to have you do the, the bold part, and I'm going to do the, the small part. It's, it's a lot of the same thing. So it's, it's not, but this is, it's, it's just cool. It's good to, to do some, some corporate worship. And this, this, this psalm just really lends itself to that. So it's been printed on, on the back of your bulletin there, it's, or it's in the, in the bulletin anyway, and you can just, we can just follow along together. Let's, let's read Psalm 136, 1 through 9, responsively. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. And the moon and stars to rule over the night. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today. That you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Pray this in your name. Amen. Love. How do we... How do we understand the word love? You know, trying to define that word, I mean, it, it can take a while. The arts like music, theater, paintings, drawings, photography, poetry. The, the arts have gone to great lengths to try to explain, to try to, to give examples of love. But without like trying to get into the deep philosophical understandings of love, I've, I've tried to boil down how we today understand love to a simple sentence. And so in that, in and of itself, it's, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a little, you know, not quite as much as it should be. But it's, it's, it's a simple sentence of how we understand in our culture today, in society today, in America, how we understand love. And that is when you love someone... You treat them as they want to be treated, as they expect to be treated. So if you love someone, you know them. You know, you know what they like. So you, so you do for them what they would like you to do. You treat them as they would like to be treated, as they, as they want to be treated. I mean, we see this on like, you know, like Valentine's Day or, or date night or, you know, it's just, it's... 
It's just we, we see it, in, we want to be treated in a particular way. And so that's, that's how I want to treat the person that I love. We, we want to be treated in, in a way that, that, that we want to be treated. That, that's how we know, that's how we feel loved. This is how, you know, this is how Daniel likes his food. And so Karen's like, I, I know that I would probably prefer it this way, but because I love my husband, I'm going to do it for him in this way. And I know that she does it that way. And so for me, it's like, ah, this is, this is my wife telling me that she loves me when she takes all of those vegetables and she puts them on a different plate for her and she cooks that food without all of those vegetables in it for me. Like, I, I know that that's my wife saying, I love you. Even though I would rather have the flavor of these vegetables in my meal, I'm just going to eat them separate. And so it's, it's just, it's, it's how, it's one way that we understand Love. It's how our society really understands love right now. It's, it's, and I'm not saying that it's, that it's all wrong, and I'm not saying that it's all right. I'm just saying that this pretty clearly is how we understand love and, and being loved by another person as a general rule in America today. If you love me, you will treat me. You will do for me as I would like you to, as I want you to, Right? That's, that's the thought. And, and we don't just see this in, in secular society, right? We, we see this in, in Christian society as well. And now, I mean, an argument could be made and, and is often made over just how you know, Christian some of these guys are. But the prosperity gospel preachers embrace, like just love, this understanding of love. And they apply it to God. They eat it up and then, and then they feed it back to us with a spoon, right? They, they tell us that God loves us and he wants the best for us. But the best isn't understood from a heavenly perspective, but, but an earthly one. It's understood as, a, you know, I know what's best for me instead of the proper. He knows what's best for me because that's just how we understand love. That I know what's best for me. And if, and if you love me, you're going to do and going to treat me the way that I want to be treated. Because that's what you do when you love someone. I spent, uh, I spent some time in Buffalo uh, with yeah, Karen and I. And, and I was in a band at a time. And, and we, we spent some time in Buffalo, New York. And we made some friends. And they were rad dudes. Like, a lot of fun. And they invited us to a Bible study at their church. So we all got in our car. We drove across the, the river into Canada, and, and we went to this church. And I'd, I'd never, like, had this experience before, but, we're, like, we're sitting there, and it's, it's for young adults, so we're all, like, in our early to mid-20s. And, and this very young, super charismatic, charismatic, like, just rad dude, he gets up there, and he just starts, like, talking, and everything's good. It's like, all right, yeah, this is kind of cool. Okay, I'm down, I'm down. And then he gets up, and he says... And I just want you guys to know that God loves you so much that he wants to bless you so much that I am confident that God would love it if everybody in this room could be driving a Lamborghini. And I was like, what? Like, where did, where did that come from? Because that doesn't really gel with how I, I understand some things. Like, that's not really how I understand a lot of things. And that was really my first, like, per, like I'd, I'd heard about, like, this train of thought, like, that it was, like, something far away, like, that was something that exists, you know, somewhere over the rainbow, that direction. And, and this was my first, like, real 
experience with it. And it got real awkward when they break us up into groups. And so we all get broken up into different groups and they sit us down. And we're supposed to go around the room and talk about a time when we meditated on something so that God gave it to us. And it got real awkward when it got to like our group because we're kind of like, yeah, we don't actually believe this is real. And, and the dude, of course, since we were new, I mean, there's like five of us. So he comes and it was just an awkward situation. But that was the first time that I realized that this is something that people, they actually really believe it. And they push it that God wants the best for you. And we can determine best by what I want. What? What? That is a super, super dangerous road to go down because what happens when things don't go the way that we want them to? What happens when things don't go the way we want them to? What happens when bad things happen? How does, how does that affect us? How does that make us feel? How does this affect how we think God feels about us? Doesn't he love me? Why, why isn't he doing the things I want him to do? Isn't that what we do when we love someone? No. It's not. Not always. I mean, sometimes, sure, sometimes it is what we do, but it's not always what we do. Our society has a fairly messed up way of understanding love. It's incredibly limiting. To love someone is not just to treat them as they want to be treated. That's an element of it, sure, that that comes into play at times, but it's not the entire definition. So we've looked a little bit at how society understands love. What What does the Bible tell us about love? And the Bible has a ton to say about love. You know, there's the classic passage that is, that is often read at weddings in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, right? You know, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no record of wrongs. And then there's the passage that Erling read for us this morning. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, where we see that God is love. The Bible tells us a lot about love, and and we see that come to life in how God reacts, how he responds, how he treats his people. You know, in the Bible, we see that sometimes to love someone is to do something that, that they don't want. And even though that's not what society wants us to think, we see it pretty clearly in Scripture. I mean, take Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, God... God creates the whole garden and he creates all of this fruit. He creates all these things. And he says, but this fruit don't touch. And he doesn't want them to to eat it. He doesn't want them to partake from it because it is the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And he knows, he knows what's going to happen if they eat that fruit. He knows what's going to happen. That they're going to have an understanding of themselves, an understanding of, of good and evil. Don't eat that fruit. I don't want you to go down that, but that's, that's not what I... But they want to. Sure, they're, they're coerced. They're, they're convinced that they want to, but, but they want to. And they do. 
And I mean, we see this all the time in life, right? I mean, take parenting, for, for example. You know, sometimes as parents, we have to do things for the benefit of our children, even though neither us nor the child like it. But we do it because we love them. Elijah, like as soon as he learned to crawl, that little punk decided that the stairs were what he was going to conquer. And we've got hardwood stairs. And he's like going up it and he'll slip a little bit. I mean, he didn't totally fall all the way down them all the time, but he, he, he did his best to fall down them when he could. And so we took like our coffee table and we pushed that coffee table. We, we tried other things at first. Like we're just going to put this in the way. Maybe you won't get it. No, man. You like move it aside. I am getting up those stairs. So then we, we put the coffee table there. And if you've been to our house, like the door opens inward and our coffee table is somewhat wide. And so it kind of became this like almost trap for ourselves. You know, they push a door in here trying to get through but we put it there even though it made our lives a little harder made our lives a little more awkward like we put that coffee table there so that we could stop our baby from climbing up the stairs because we didn't want him to hurt himself we didn't want him to break himself he would get so mad he would just sit in front of that coffee table and bawl like just wail because he wanted to do what we didn't want him to we were trying to protect him from that. He's like, no, this is, this is what I want. This is where I'm going to go. You know, sometimes love manifests itself in blessings. And that's, that's probably the way that we would, like, we, we, we like that way, that, that it manifests itself. And, and it, it manifests itself in God actively engaging and working in the lives of his people. And over and over again in the Bible, we see God blessing his people. Manna from heaven calming the storms, deliverance from Egypt. I mean, the whole book of Judges, healing the blind, sick, lame, leprous. I mean, the the list goes on. God is continually blessing his people. We also see God working through the pain, the hard things that come his people's way. We're familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph is his father's favorite son, who gets the the coat of many colors and the jealousy of his brothers. And so his brothers throw him into a pit. They're going to kill him. They decide not to. They sell him to slavery. And from slavery, he, he works his way up to the top of the house. And then, because he's not going to have an affair with his boss's wife, he gets thrown in jail. And then he spends all this time in jail. And all the time, it's because he's like being a person of integrity. I mean, maybe he didn't need to like tell his brothers all of this stuff and how awesome he was and that, that helped make his brothers jealous and get going. But, but that, I mean, it was integrity. I'm doing what God has, has called me to do. I'm going where he is leading me to go and I'm going into slavery and then I'm going into prison. And at the end of this, God uses Joseph to save his people and not just his people, but the people of Egypt and the people surrounding Egypt. God works through the pain, through the hard times. One of my favorite examples of of this, this, this working through hard, is the life of the prophet Hosea. I don't know if we're super familiar with Hosea. Hosea is a fantastic character in scripture. Hosea is an Old Testament prophet. And just to give you a bit of an idea as to what Hosea's life was like, I'm going to read Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 for you. It says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, 
and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So God goes to Hosea and he says, I'm going to use you as an example of what my people have been doing to me. I want you to go and I want you to find a prostitute and I want you to marry her. Hosea's like, oh, okay. So Hosea goes and he meets Gomer. And Hosea falls in love with Gomer. And he brings Gomer into his house. He brings Gomer into his life. And they have kids together. And this is his wife. And he loves her. He has taken her out of this dark, this, this terrible place that she was. And he has brought her back into his life. Or into his life. And he is loving her. And he is, she is his wife. And they have a good relationship. They have kids. And then what happens? Gomer leaves him. Gomer goes back to the life that she had before. Even though she's got it good. Like she's in a good place. She's in a place where she has a husband that cares about her. And is providing her for her. And she goes back to the life of prostitution. She leaves him. How does it feel to be Hosea in that? How does it feel to be Hosea? You have brought this woman out of adultery, out of, out of prostitution into your house. And you love her and she leaves you. You have given her a good life and she leaves you and goes back to the life of sin that she was living in before. And then what does Hosea do? He goes and finds his wife. He finds his wife and he takes money and he goes to her pimp and he pays the pimp for his wife's freedom, redeeming, redeeming Gomer and bringing Gomer back into his house. He redeems the wife that had left him, that he took out of her sinful life brings into a secure, safe, loving relationship. And then she leaves. And he goes back and pays money, redeems the woman that left him, redeems the one that he loves, and brings her back into his house. Why? Why? This is an example, again, this is an example of us. God says, I'm going to use this as an example of my love for my people, my love for Israel. This is what Israel has done. Why? Why does God love us like this? Why does he love us so recklessly? Because he promised he would. He promised that he would. Genesis 17, verses 1 to 8, when Abraham, or Abram, was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. 
And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come before you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I will be their God. This is my covenant. This is my promise. I will bless you. I will be your God. He gave us his word. And he does not break his promises. And his promise is enough. You know, when the Bible talks of this promise, this covenant that God made with Abraham, it uses the Hebrew word, Hebrew word, Chesed. The word means covenant faithfulness. And it also means steadfast love and loving kindness. And it's the word that we see in our passage this morning. It's the word we read over and over again in Psalm 136. For his steadfast love endures forever. For his chesed endures forever. God will not fall out of love with us. He has promised us it will never happen. Now, there are times when he is pushed to the edge, you know, as we see in, in Exodus 32 with, with the golden calf, right? Like Moses, the, he has taken his people out of, uh, of Egypt and, and they're like so happy and they want to worship something. And, and God goes up to the top of the mountain and, and he has given the Ten Commandments. And as he's coming back down, he sees that the people have come to Aaron, Moses' brother, and said, We want something to worship. Take all our gold and make us a golden calf. And so they make this golden calf and they are worshiping this golden idol. And as Moses is coming down, God gets ticked. And he says to Moses, Stand aside, I'm wrecking everybody. Like they're done. I am so mad. I just saved these people from Egypt. I just brought them out of slavery. And this is what they're going to do? The second they get into freedom, they're going to start worshiping some other god? They're going to make for themselves a golden calf, and that's where they're going to hang out? They are done. I'm wiping them the face of the earth. And what does Moses do? What does Moses do? In Exodus 32, 13 to 14, Moses gets before God, and he says... Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore to your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to you your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And how does God respond in verse 14? And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. He relented. God keeps his promises. And while the story of Hosea illustrates the lengths that we go to to run from God, right? The way that that we interact with his love in our running. It is the truth of Jesus Christ on the cross that tells the story of how how far God went. That tells the story of how much he loves us. That tells the story of how far 
He is willing to go to keep his promises to us that we may interact with his love. We can look at a promise made to Abraham so very long ago and say, man, God got the raw end of that promise. Like, what was he thinking? Like, you know, somehow God made a bad deal. Anyone seen the movie The Money Pit with with Tom Hanks? Where they they buy the house and and they're happy about it. And then, like, all the things go wrong. And they're constantly having to sink money into this house. Money that they didn't realize. And it just becomes this much bigger investment. this, This way bigger deal than they had anticipated it being. You know, we can, we can look back on God's promise to Abraham and be like, yeah. When God made that covenant, he was just sinking his money into a money pit. He didn't realize what he was getting into. He didn't realize how broken and messed up his creation is. These people he wants to have a relationship with really are. But you guys, that couldn't be further from the truth. God knew exactly what he was getting into. He knew exactly what he was getting into. He's God. He knows all things through all time. He's outside of time. I mean, he just knows all the things. He knows. And he knew what that covenant He made with Abraham would cost him. And he made it anyway. He made it anyway. And his steadfast love endures forever. It endures forever. He is going to love you and he is going to keep that promise forever. He loves you that much and he has promised to love you that much forever and ever